0: This This is is Yawa Yawa
1: Radio.
0: One welcome to the Yawa Radio podcast. The Yawa Radio podcast is an opportunity again to listen to one of our inspirational, thought-provoking interviews that we have brought to the listeners of Yawa Radio. Yawa Radio is online 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We are your well-being and happiness radio station, bringing the feel-good feeling to every single day of the week. Check us out at yawaradio.co.uk. Now sit back and enjoy this podcast from the Yawa Radio team. Welcome to Jordan Space. Every fortnight,
2: you can join me, your host, Steve Phillip, alongside Danielle and Paul from the Jordan Legacy team, together with some very special guests for an hour of conversation, music, and above all, hope. Welcome to Jordan Space. This show does discuss themes of suicide, and we'd encourage you to take care of yourself by stepping away from the show at any point, should you find the content triggering or uncomfortable to listen to. For support, please visit our website, thejordanlegacy.com, and our help menu options. Welcome to Show 30 of Jordan's Space. It's incredible to think our show has already achieved this milestone, and this week we'll be bringing you yet another inspiring story as we speak with Mark Convey. At age 14, Mark suffered major burns following an accident in which he was engulfed in a wall of flames. The accident left him with significant physical and emotional scars. 30 years later, Mark is a much sought after speaker traveling across the globe, sharing his story and his insights, particularly in relation to post traumatic growth. Before we meet with Mark, I'm joined as always by Danny. Great to have you here, Danny. And Paul's going to be joining us in a short while when we speak to Mark about a wonderful short film he's produced documenting the Brighton leg of this summer's Baton of Hope tour. And Danny, it got me thinking about the power of video to get a message across. Do you think people often engage more with a message if it's in the form of a video or a film?
3: I think videos can definitely be more relatable and often more memorable than text. And um, They often have that more personal element because we can engage with body language, tone of voice, eye contact. And it often has a way of capturing the audience's attention in a way that sometimes the written word doesn't. And um, our own bite sized videos filmed recently by Box Media for our petition and the Hope for Life conference have received a lot of engagement. And I think it's definitely made people better relate to us and what we're doing at the Jordan Legacy.
2: That's right. And unfortunately no one's been put off by seeing Paul or myself on screen, which is which is good. <laughs> Talking of videos generally, have there been any standout videos that you've come across this year specifically relating to mental health or raising awareness about suicide?
3: Yeah, there's been a few really thought-provoking ones this year. There was one earlier in the year released in February by SOB's charity, Survivors of Bereavement by Suicide, called the Ripple Effect, which reflected the reality of the impact of suicide on those left behind. We know that for every suicide, up to 135 people are directly impacted and that those individuals are then at greater risk of suicide themselves. So I think it's a really important issue to highlight to help to prevent further suicides. Another one that I know resonated with a lot of people and has actually been viewed online tens of millions of times is the one released recently by Norwich City Football Club, club. and um, I won't give it away for those who haven't seen it but it's one of the most simple yet most powerful mental health and suicide prevention videos out there and it, it does a fantastic job at reminding us that the signs of poor mental health and suicidal thoughts aren't always that easy to recognise.
2: One of the things we're doing at the moment is we're just launching a a campaign uh, where we've invited people with lived experience of suicide. Some of those have have lost loved ones. Others have had their their own journeys themselves personally, inviting them to, to share a message about why this is such an important campaign and encouraging people to share the petition. And as you said a little earlier, I think just seeing The message delivered in the spoken word and visually to camera in that way carries so much more of an impact, I think, than the written word can perhaps ever do. Danny, look, I often hear comments about videos that people don't always have the time to watch a video message um, on their phone or their laptop. It's not always convenient to do so either, particularly if they're on a train or if they're in a room with others present are there any tips or any advice you can give for those producing video content to kind of overcome those concerns
3: yeah I think things like keeping the content short so getting your message across in a quick but memorable way adding captions is another one but do make sure you check those are correct because I know we've had a few mix-ups with text captions in the past and sometimes inappropriate wording so it's always really important to check those um, also, adding pop-up text works well to highlight key messages to encourage people to watch and listen to the full video.
2: So. And it's, it's simple stuff, but just that can just make a, a real difference to people getting the the experience of the video if, if they're not able to turn volume up, for example, with some of the tips you've given there. Mm-hmm. Well, look, thanks, Danny. We're going to take a short break now and play another track chosen by our guest this week, Mark Convey. Let's listen to Coldplay and don't panic. And when we return, we'll be speaking with Mark as he shares his truly inspiring journey with us.
0: Every Saturday, 3 till 6 p.m., Russell's Resilience Radio Show here
2: on Yawa Radio. This This is Yawa Yawa Radio. Radio. Welcome back and a very special welcome to our guest this week, Mark Conveit. Mark, welcome to the show. Really good to
1: have you join us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
2: Your story, the accident, of course, that that you had is very well documented through many of the talks and podcast interviews that you have delivered. But for some of the listeners, maybe to Jordan Space, who are not as familiar with your story, can you provide a brief explanation of of that day in
1: 1992? Sure. Yeah, I was 14 years old in in 1992 and I was on holiday in Ireland. All my extended family are, are Irish, so that used to be our our usual summer summer vacation and quite cliche story in terms of kids don't play with matches and that's what me and my cousin did it was a electrical storm that night and we pretty much finished playing with caps and stuff and went into a garage that was separate from my uncle's house where I was staying and we didn't know there was um, some petrol nearby in the vicinity and a spark the petrol can caught fire it fell on its side and created a wall in front of me and there was no other exits out of the garage so my cousin luckily was on the side of the door managed to get out and i was trapped in passed out i was in there for a good amount of time i was told and had this crazy near-death experience where you know i thought i was talking to to sort of relatives past and and in whatever in between, you know, life and death state, I was in. I made a decision to live, and in that, in that instant, I was awake and somehow managed to get out of a very small broken window, hosed down by family members, and then a pretty excruciating twelve-mile drive to the local hospital. And yeah, I was battling for my life, really, for for the next week or so. I guess I was in a coma in a juice coma. I uh, was strong enough then to come out of that. But uh, someone didn't read my file well enough to see that I was allergic to penicillin and administered that, which then nearly killed me. Then the next worry was my eyesight. So once I came out of the coma, I was still unassisted breathing for a while. And then the ventilator was taken off and it was just darkness for me. But it's it's quite crazy what your other senses do. It's like they really do my sense of hearing and and how I can still now... Identify people via their footsteps. is it, It's crazy. I had unbelievable nurses and care assistants, and I met up with one of them just recently, actually. So the fact that I'm going back over my story is really important for me to, to, to go back and reach out to the people who literally lifted me up when I couldn't lift myself up.
2: You know, the Jordan legacy, we often talk about the importance of, of hope and I believe your story is really one of huge hope for for a lot of people. I'm particularly interested, as you move forward in your journey, to talk about your recovery, and how you took a huge amount of responsibility for that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I felt quite out of control in Dublin. Uh, when I got to London, I was really sick of people talking about me when I was in the room. And And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a very kind of, I think I was a very gritty and determined child anyway. And I just wasn't having that. And I'm not sure if I consciously thought this at the time, but, you know, it was an awful lot of responsibility on the people around me and, you know, my mum, my siblings, my family, both my parents and extended family and friends, the people looking after me, the big team in the hospital and, I just felt like that I wanted to be more in control. I wanted to be in charge. I felt like I was in charge of the decisions. I want people to talk direct to me. And I wanted to take some responsibility off the shoulders of my family specifically. And I think that's really where my leadership journey started. And I was also very lucky. I was a big joker. You know, I'm still a wind-up merchant with a with a quick wit. And humor was huge. And making other people's lives better around me and showing them how grateful I was, then in turn, made them want to go the extra mile for me. I think as 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 leaders and as people, really, if we can try and make people around you feel better by being in your company, then it just creates this extra energy. And, and I fed off that energy, personally, in, in my journey. I felt valued still, you know, even though I was a massive resource drain in in every single area, on everyone around me. I felt valued by them, and that is just such an empowering feeling to have and gave me the depths of strength that I needed, you know, to get through these constant mountains, one after the other, that I had to climb.
2: I know how important mindset is to you. I understand that school was something you had a mainly positive experience with, despite the mental and physical scars, obviously, you were carrying there. Were the challenges you, you, you had to face, though, during your school time? And if so, what was your mindset and attitude toward dealing
1: with those? Going going back to school was was a huge aim of mine. You know, one of the, the things that was just human around me was that I was going to drop back a year. And I knew that if that happened, it would mentally destroy me. I was very conscious of that at, at the time. And but my right hand was so badly damaged that I had to learn to write with my left hand. So I had that. And then obviously I was really, really badly injured. And then I had a huge, well, a very long road of rehab So I, in front of me. So even going back to school, it was part time. And, but it was so important for me, you know, I needed that target. By that point, I was wearing a, a clear perspex mask that I had to wear 24 hours a day for, for two years. And So that was almost like a prison sentence within it, within itself. And you know what kids are like. And I went to a very masculine, very sport driven school uh, where it was very much man up. You know, it was, it was, you know, not a feelings kind of, kind of place. And I remember that first day going back and it it was pretty horrendous, but I got through it. And, and then I realized I was kind of untouchable. You know, everyone had probably been warned, you know, say anything to Mark, touch Mark do anything wrong, you'll be out on your ear. It was amazing. I could, you know, wind up bullies that, you know, bullied me before and they couldn't even lay a finger on me. So I kind of started to enjoy the the notoriety that I had and this, this status and look to the positive things and, and it passed. But by already at that point, you know, I had six months of extreme experiences that I was already learning from. And in some ways, I count my blessings that this happened to me at, at 14 and not at 19 or 21 or 23. And yes, it's horrendous that it was happening on the cusp of puberty. But also, I think because I was still growing as a human being, literally, and my brain was still growing, I was able to create more neural pathways than I might have done if it as later on in life. So, those extreme things that I had to go through, I was able to find a way through them. But I think you know when I was looking to my friends and you, you we look for sort of external validation I was like well I can't live life thinking what are you thinking about me it's more important what I think about myself and start taking control of that so that's when I think my inside work really started to happen
4: thanks for that mark and I also remember from my school there was there was a guy who had Not burns, but facial disfigurements. Kids found it difficult because they didn't have anybody else to relate to like that. It was just somebody who was unusual. But I remember also when Simon Weston, the Falklands veteran, started appearing on TV with his friends. It kind of changed the conversation a bit. I just wondered, was there anybody else at that time when you were a kid that you could relate to? as being somebody like you or did you see yourself as just being yourself and unique in that situation
1: Mm, that's a that's a really interesting question no I didn't really and and I wasn't that bothered to try and find role models that, that that I needed and again this wasn't a conscious thing I don't think at the time it was just I've got what I need, you know, I've got this incredible community around me, incredible support. And I backed myself, you know, I was growing in confidence and had faced so many hurdles to get over that it was just more important for me to focus on me rather than trying to to look for sort of reasoning or perspective from anyone else going through something similar to me or some other kind of disfigurement or something that maybe set them apart from their peers
3: I don't know if you're religious at all but you said about having that sort of near death experience at the time when it happened and people from the past does that sort of helped you in any way sort of going forward or, or do
1: you um, think f-
3: more about that experience since then
1: I do I do, and I've, I've given up trying to reason it because I don't think I'm ever going to get to the bottom of it but, but yeah my parents are both Irish I was brought up uh, as Catholic you know, I was an altar boy, went to church every every Sunday. And at that time, I think that the way I was reading, it was not that I was at the pearly gates of, of heaven or anything anything like that. But maybe that there, there was some afterlife and that the voices I was talking to were ancestors who were saying, you'll be fine if you come with us. But then I heard my, my uncle's voice and he was like, no, 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 no. You've still got stuff to do here on earth. You need to come back. And I was like, you're right, uncle. So I actually just spoke to him about this this year. And yeah, and I just said how he's just a, a massive leader and an inspiration for me. You know, he made critical decisions when I came out that took me from having a 0% chance of surviving to a 3 or 4% chance of surviving. And I think somehow I connected with him on an energy level. But the religion definitely played played a part in my recovery for sure in terms of and as much for something for my my family to hold on to, but but as I got older, I moved moved away from the religion, which was too narrow for me. I needed to broaden my horizons. I didn't want to be constricted by these rules. And I think I learned that through traveling the world and seeing different cultures and, and understanding how other people live and deal with grief and deal with trauma and deal with all these different things. And and I wanted a much broader perspective to make sense and understand, you know what happened to me and what I was going through and how I was living my life. If it wasn't for the power of that community around me, that was massive for me.
2: And Mark, that's something I particularly wanted to chat with you about, because you've mentioned community a few times and the importance of that. What role can communities play, do you feel, in in helping people open up and talk about trauma generally, particularly PTSD and and post-traumatic growth, which I know you've talked about?
1: Yeah, I think it was that... The single most in, the important thing in, in my recovery was the, the people around me and how I felt that I was a valued member of community. So when something happens to you, some kind of trauma, you tend to separate yourself from your community. And I think the way that we can help anyone going through any type of trauma is just to to make them realize how valuable they are to you. So I had incredible support around me and, and in every community that... I was a part of, they made me, me feel valued and they put me on a pedestal for sure. And I had this kind of celebrity status in these small little communities, but I really fed off that and it gave me a lot of confidence and maybe enabled me to fake it a little bit until I made it, but that's fine. I think we can live through our personas for sh- in the short term. If we start doing it more long-term and we're not living through authentic selves, then we're into a dangerous territory but this new version of Mark needed to emerge. And and as he was emerging, you know, I had crazy support around me and was made to feel that I was adding value to, to anyone that I came in contact with. And that was just incredible.
4: This sense of community, as we've all agreed, is really, really important and is actual support, community support around. I, I've known people who've you've been bereaved by suicide and, and their friends have started walking in the opposite direction, you know, and and, and giving them no support at all because they're so terrified they don't know what to say and things like that. And they've often formed new communities because their old communities haven't supported them. So, you know, that's maybe something we can explore a little bit later as well. But that sense of community comes across very clearly.
3: A bit positive outlook on things, Mark, but times when you may be not feeling quite that positive was there anything back then that sort of helped your mindset or anything you do now in terms of your routines or anything
1: just that I think an understanding that bad times will pass and there was so much going on with me in in those early days that I didn't have a lot of time to get too down because there was another challenge another thing it was so much going on that it was one thing to the next thing, and then you get past it, and then you're like, oh, well, I got past that fine. And I think I've taken that into in, my life now that it's this word, it's not I have a problem with the word happy, but it's the way that we frame that we can aim to be happy all the time. And I understand that 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 we can't. So I try to be content and see. Happiness and sadness as just states of mind that will flow through me and pass. And if I'm sad, then I'll sit with it and that's fine. And by sitting with it and not trying to run away from it, I process it much quicker. And likewise, when I'm happy, I don't try and cling on to it too hard. Because if you try and cling on to a hard, it's almost like a pendulum that swings. Once you let go of it, it's going to swing so far back the other way. So I... You know, visually, have this metaphor in my head of this pendulum swinging, and and I try and stay between four and seven, four and eight. Sometimes I'll go up to nine and ten, but you know, it's rare. That's like more manic state. And then sometimes I'll go down, but I know that they all pass. But if I can just swing in between four and eight in my mind, then then good times and bad times will, will pass, and they'll come and go. And yeah. and one of the favorite periods in in my life is once you just get out of a bad period and you feel like that, that you've got that momentum and you're coming from further back. So it's not like you're chasing to get to to, to 10, but it feels amazing. So, and I try to capitalize on those moments as well and, and really appreciate the the good times when they are there and coming out of a bad time into a good time is just the favorite period in, in my life. And if you can, hold on to that thought. You've got something to look forward to, even when you're in the, 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 the darkest moments.
2: I think that's going to be a hugely valuable message for so many people to to hear, Mark. Look, thanks for sharing so much about your personal journey so far. We're going to move things forward after the break and talk more about the work you're doing now and uh, the focus there to inspire and motivate other people. Before then, we're going to play another track. we we'll have be playing a, a few tracks that you've chosen this week. We're going to be playing Green Day and Good Riddance, Time of Your Life. Why is this song particularly important to you?
1: It's going to be my funeral song. And I know it was written about a breakup and but I didn't realise that when I was just taking the words, for how they meant to me. And I kind of feel like a tongue in cheek and want, you know, in my funeral, people to say, well, good riddance. Or I'm saying good riddance to you, but I hope you had the time of your life when you were with me.
2: Well, if you can have a message of hope even prepared for your funeral, Mark. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's pretty good. Look, thanks very much for now. Let's listen to Green Day and good riddance at time of your life. And we'll be right back after this.
3: Hi, it's Zoe Bishop here. If you want to get your weekend off to the best start, join me every week for my Feel Good Friday show from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Two hours of fab music, well-being tips and Friday fun. This,
4: this is, is YOWA Radio.
2: Radio. Welcome back. We're talking with Mark Convey. In 1992, Mark was badly burned in a fire, suffering severe physical and mental traumas as a result. Mark, I'd like to focus now on Some of the amazing things you're doing with your life now in the lead up to this show. I know you and I have been communicating quite a lot about your travels. You've been uh, all over Europe, but you recently gave up a career as an entrepreneur to pursue other things in life that maybe you felt were more important to you. Can you share just some of the things that kind of life's taking you towards now?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I just want to give a bit more context about my journey Post my recovery, once I went to, to university and I was stood, stood in my hallway where my parents dropped me off and um, I shut the front door and I had this all over body reaction. And it was like nothing I'd felt at that time. And I stood there and it was like, you you did it, kid. You know, it took you five years, but you know, you got your independence back. and And that was the start of me of how I describe running into life. So rather than me getting down on the the, the trauma and the the things that have been taken away from me, I was having a word with the universe and saying, you owe me some, I'm, I'm coming to get mine. And that's when I felt like that I started running into life. And, you know, it took me through university and traveling and, you know, a career in poking media and then into the, the, the entrepreneur world. And I, I set up a video production company. Uh, I ran that for five years. And um, but... I think like everyone with a pandemic started to slow things down and look at the world and how much pain people were going through. And there was a lot of overlap with what people were feeling with a lot of stuff that I'd gone through in my life. And I thought I can have a place here potentially to to help people. And I felt like that I was just wasn't fully aligned with my own company after the five years of, of running it. So, So I jumped without a plan. I had no idea what I was going to do. And I just came in uh, January 2022, first meeting with my senior management team and said, I think I've taken this as far as I can. I need to spread my wings. I don't know what that's going to be, but I'm going to trust that I can figure it out. And they were like, you know what? We feel like the the time is right for you to do that. I was like, well, you know, you could have fought for me a bit more, but hey-ho. And so I left and I went to Wales for three weeks and got some solitude connected with nature i was walking through woods and and really thinking and and i could feel myself sort of turning around for the first time in 30 years or 25 years since that first moment looking back at everything that i'd achieved and the way i did my life and i remember driving out of wales and i got that all over body reaction again for the second time in my life and it was for me a physical indicated that I'd done running into life and I had evened up the score. And now was the right moment for me to look back and tell my story and, and figure out some sort of philosophy from it that I could create some words and structure around it to be able to, to help other people. And it was so important for me that I'd got to that stage in my life before I was ready to share. You know, the a metaphor that I use a lot and I've been thinking a lot about this last couple of weeks is the oxygen mask and and how I needed to make sure that I was breathing properly first before I put it on, on anyone else. But I've also been thinking, actually, from specifically your perspectives around that, that oxygen mask metaphor. And I've had a little change in thinking of it as well. And I've been reading this amazing book called Crazy Like Us. And it's the westernization of the modern mind. And there's a lot around various different modern ailments we have and there's a big section on PTSD and in, in some cultures actually putting the oxygen mask on on other people is the very thing that allows them to continue to breathe as well and I think when we talk about suicide bereavement and the, the great work that, that you're doing and you probably are all helping each other heal in certain ways and so for me personally because it was my own trauma I needed to make sure that I was breathing first but for other types of traumas, I think it's absolutely right that you try and put the oxygen mask on people around you because in, in an indirect way, you're, you're giving yourself oxygen to continue with the, the traumas that you've been through.
4: Steve asked you earlier on about um, post-traumatic growth. And I was reflecting on that when you were talking about how you see the world differently in terms of transitional states and happiness, sadness, et cetera, and how you're able to cope with that and thinking it's going to pass, it's going to get better and so on. Not everybody can think like that. Not everybody can have that kind of discipline. So it raises questions about, has your experience enabled you to be able to to do that? Has it helped you to be able to to do that? Or how do you think uh, post-traumatic growth has manifested itself for you?
1: That's a really really good question. And it's, it's something that I'm trying to figure out, you know, since I gave up running the video production company. And then, you know, I spent a year as a co-founder of a, a leadership, a mindful leadership training company. I got to work with these world-class coaches uh, around mindset. And I then left that earlier this year because I I felt like that it wasn't in line with, with my my values. And, and your values, are it's about understanding who you are and your authentic self. So I think everything needs to come back and and start with as you as a person. And if if things aren't aligned, you need to, you really need to make sure that self care is the most important thing in your life. But you need to balance that out with doing some inside work and understanding your values, raising your consciousness as well to a level where you're compassionate to yourself or other people, have great empathy, and and that stops you becoming a a narcissist that stops you living too much through your ego and and your various different personas and you stop people pleasing and you put yourself first so If So you can put yourself first but not be a narcissist then that's a really really good place to be in and then if you can then communicate with the people around you to make them understand that they they don't need to save you you know they're it's you, you need to take responsibility for your own well-being. And I'm a really big believer on that. And I help people understand you. It's like just, again, going back to make me feel valuable. Make me feel like that I'm adding value to your life. This image just popped in, in into my head and it's the Ricky Gervais TV series.
2: Afterlife, yeah.
1: Yeah, and what stops him taking his own life is the fact that his dog is downstairs and needs feeding. And it's just that little thing, that little seed stops him making it you know it's taking terrible choices making a terrible choice and i can imagine if that is a a group of people in your life that you feel like that you've got to get out of bed every day because you're adding value to those people's lives then that's really really empowering but you've Mm -hmm. also then got to make sure that you're only not living vicariously through other people right you need to make sure that you then are balancing that up you need both things show compassion to yourself but then balance it out by having this this sense of community and that's how people around you can help
4: and also it's interesting i was having a conversation about this the other day that 10 years ago when i first got involved professionally for the first time in suicide prevention part of the training from people like samaritans and and lifeline was around you know who will miss you if you're gone but they've changed that now because that's regarded as not helpful that you're only saving your own life because, you know, for the sake of others. But, but listening to you talking about the combination of self-care and helping others and the nourishment you get from helping others, the kind of extra energy you get from helping others, it's, it sounds like maybe your post-traumatic growth is that you've increased the total supply of oxygen.
2: <laughs> okay. Mark, look one of the things I know you're, you're passionate about in terms of the message that you want to share is, is motivational speaking particularly on the topic of, of mental health can you tell us a little bit about what your aspirations are for this going forward
1: so my first motivation was going to be to write a book a book about my story so I've, i write about forty thousand words over the summer and then i was thinking about speaking career and then i thought, oh, well you know i i used to be a poker commentator but i know a bit about broadcasting a, a podcast would be a good thing and i well I, I run a video production company for five years i know a thing or two about uh making videos and films maybe i could do that as well and then thankfully I started working with a coach and she was just like, stop. Like, how, how are you going to do all these things? And you talked about your love for traveling and how you need to balance that up. And when are you ever going to get away in your van and do these things? You've got enough to fill the next five years of your life minimum here. now, I'm like, let's, let's try and stagger these rather than stack them all on top of each other. So the, 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 the lowest hanging fruit, and the most sensible option was, was the, the speaking career and just opening up and showing my vulnerability and also my strength on stage, that it, it felt right.
2: We're going to take you back to your film production work as well, because you were involved as an important part of the Baton of Hope tour around the UK this summer and actually produced a a wonderful film to, to help spread awareness about the Baton of Hope. Tell us a little bit about that whole experience for you and the production of the film as well.
1: Yeah, it's, it was one of the most worthy and worthwhile and rewarding things that I've ever been involved with within my life. And And it came at perfect time for me as well. You know, I've gone on a journey, my first ever journey in my my van back in March. And it was on that journey that I realized that I shouldn't be running a company. I should just be going solo. I'm standing on top of my mountain. So I I left that behind, came back and effectively shut the organization down. The irony is the very thing that made it so great was the very thing that, that brought it down. And then I went a, a trip around islands because I thought, okay, I'm ready to share my story. And and I went back to this business breakfast event that I spoke at uh, a few months before. And Sam uh Thompson, who was another member of the organizing committee, made a beeline for me and made sure she sat next to me at the when we were eating breakfast. And then she mentioned this thing that Rose uh, Rokins, the our incredible lead here at down in Brighton and for that leg, had got involved in and within about four minutes I was like I'm in for me it was going to offer a perfect segue into my new sort of solo life and um, sharing my story and it was the most incredible team that I've ever been involved with and then we felt that Brighton was as uh, sometimes it's in a bit of a bubble in terms of its viewpoints in the world but my god is it an incredible place in terms of empathy and compassion and people getting behind movements and the thought Brighton really needs to be one of the, the bright lights for this campaign and our ambitions got bigger and bigger and bigger and then a person who was going to be recording uh producing the video for us pro bono pulled out and at that moment everyone in the room just kind of looked at me and I was like <laughs> I guess I did run a video production company for five years right okay take this on so I went out and sourced some funding and then I went back to my old. Luckily, we still have a great relationship. My old business partner, James, and we've done a lot of work with Martin's Hospice and various charities and different things. And I always felt that his editing and choice of music and everything around those types of films were the best work that that that, that we ever did. Uh, but I still think that I'm probably most proud of the the Baton Hope film that we created. So. Nothing that we we got paid for in five and a half years working together made me feel as good as that did after we'd gone our separate ways. It was an honour.
4: Mark, that was brilliant to hear that story. This, the, the film is stunning. It is absolutely stunning. And also, really importantly, I think a lot of people thought that your role was just making that video. So I think it's really important that you've told us about your full-on involvement with this. And we're giving our award, our Hope for Life Award, for spirit of collaboration this year for 2023 to all the local organisers like yourself, because. It wouldn't have happened without
2: you. Mark, look, thanks so much for everything you've shared with us today. As our regular listeners know, we always like to end each conversation by asking, I guess, to share a message of hope and kind of coming to you now and asking you what your message of hope would be and and who would that be for as well?
1: I think my message of hope would be for the teenagers, I think, struggling, I think, you know, going back to, to to my own experiences, that you know my own trauma was at a, a very vulnerable time. You know, when you're young, uh, but I'd I'd like the young people to really to want to understand that they need to look, look inside for their own validation and and also go into life understanding. And this may may sound a bit more morbid and negative, but it's not understanding that pain and trauma are just a part of life. And, and it's in those moments when you're not going through pain or trauma, when you really need to grab hold of the reins of life and and go for it. And it's about justifying the traumas. And that's where the real magic of life is. So we're never going to live a life that's pain-free. That's, that's not full of some sort of trauma, grief, loss, and that's okay. It really is okay. Cause those times will pass, you know, as the baton and hope said, you know, hold on pain ends but when that pain does end that's when you need to justify those traumas and you be a go getter and just get out there and live life to the full because it is incredible and just keep your head up lift your head up and see that there's an amazing world out there and tough times do pass
2: What a powerful message. Thank you, Mark. Look, we can't let you go before just asking you about another track. We're going to play two more tracks, in fact, by the end of the show. We're going to close the show with Every Breath You Take by The Police. But right now we're going to play um, a track by R.E.M., Night Swimming. One of my favourite tracks, I have to say. But uh, again, the reason for you choosing this particular track.
1: It's my favourite song, and it's uh, one of the last songs of the album, Automatic for the People, by, by R.E.M., and it was the most important album for me during my recovery. There were times when at certain points in the hospital, I got you know addicted to, to morphine and different things outside of my own control. So I needed to find some music that, that I could not necessarily wallow in, but would help me meditate through dark times. That album and that song particularly, when I was going through sort of bad dressing changes, I could just put it on and just lie back. And so it was an incredible support to me, that piece of music and that song personally through the toughest times of my life.
2: Yeah, great. Well, I think as we listen to this track, I think there are probably going to be a lot of people listening, picturing you going through those challenging times, but drawing comfort from this song. So let's listen to Night Swimming by R.E.M. When we come back with Danny and Paul, we'll have a roundup of today's conversation with Mark
0: you're listening to yawa radio now you know we have a linkedin page where you can follow us on there just go to your linkedin and just search for yawa radio and up we pop there yawa radio your well-being and happiness radio station so you can follow us on linkedin just by searching for yawa radio and up we pop yawa radio your well-being and happiness radio station
2: Welcome back, Danny, Paul, another powerful interview and conversation with Mark and and really, you know, what came through to me was just his kind of attitude to life and such a powerful message of hope at the end. What, what were some of the things you took away, Danny, from our conversation with Mark?
3: Yeah, I think just an incredible individual, an incredible story and one of huge hope and you know, despite his accident, this sort of his outlook on everything, his incredible resilience and strength of character, and that, you know, he's also gone on to have an incredible career despite everything that's happened. But he also did emphasize that, you know, despite all of his own sort of personal traits that helps him to to carry on, he also emphasized how important it was to have support and feel valued from those around him. So it highlights, and as he said, the importance of making people feel valuable when they're going through trauma and crisis in their life and I also think his message of self-care is so important and putting on like you said your own oxygen mask first but but also recognizing that everyone's journey is different so you know for some people helping others and one putting the oxygen mask on them is what helps them Uh, and finally just sort of something else to talk from it just the importance of recognizing that life isn't always about happiness and we do have to accept that Pain and trauma are part of this, but it's about getting through those times and realising that there are better times ahead.
2: Gotcha. I think you've summed it up beautifully, Dan. I think there's so many of those things that resonated and I took away from our conversation. Paul, what were some of the key takeaways for you?
4: Yeah, a lot of takeaways there. Obviously, we we often say that everybody's story is unique and, and Mark certainly is I think that a lot of young people would have struggled to cope with what Mark coped with. He did obviously have that inner strength. He did have that great family support around him, his his religious beliefs and community and everything else, obviously all contributed. But he can now reflect on that and he can help other people, including other teenagers, by the sound of it, uh, who will struggle and maybe will struggle more than Mark did in some respects if they don't have that same support network around them. But I, I do find it interesting that he talks about almost kind of sometimes incidental about what happened. He's now helping people reflect on, on their inner strength. He's helping people, you know, with they think about these emotional states that will pass and so on. Or, you know, and sometimes he, he borders on that almost incidental what happened to me, but obviously everything is really related to what happened and that post-traumatic growth. And uh, and I, I also, finally, for me, I, I, I was genuinely interested to hear him talking about the of Pope because... I do know a lot of people thought that Mark's role was just the video. And if it, if it was just the video, it still would have been a remarkable contribution. But clearly, he was very heavily involved in every aspect of it and threw himself into it. And And he, you know, he's going around now looking for things that he wants to do. And that's part of his strength now. He's not going to just do stuff because he thinks he has to do it. He's going to do stuff that he wants to do.
2: Yeah, no, great summing up, both of you. Thank you for that. Well, look, that's it for another episode of Jordan Space. Uh, my thanks to Danny and Paul and to this week's guest, Mark Convey. Thank you also for tuning in. I hope you found today's discussion, as always, uh, interesting and insightful and uh, inspiring as well. And if you have felt inspired to support our work to help prevent suicides at the Jordan Legacy, you can make a donation directly to our website, which is the.jordanlegacy.com, or you can get in touch. By emailing hello at the You can engage with us on social media by following the Jordan Legacy CIC's LinkedIn company page. We're also on Twitter and Instagram using the username at Jordan Legacy UK. Of course, you can find us on Facebook at the Jordan Legacy. You can listen to recordings of previous shows of Jordan Space on our website by choosing the menu Jordan Space at the top of our website. For now, and from Danny, Paul and myself, I'd like to wish you a safe, healthy and above all hopeful rest of your week. And we're going to leave you now with the final track chosen by Mark for this week, Every Breath You Take by the Police.
0: A big thank you for taking the time out to listen to this podcast from the team at Yawa Radio. Remember to check us out live online, 24 hours a day, seven days a week at yawaradio.com co.uk and if you'd like to join us as a guest on yawa radio or as a guest on the yawa radio podcast we would love to hear from you simply email studio at yawaradio.co.uk once again a big thank you for taking the time out to listen this is the yawa radio podcast copyright
3: applies